Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comet Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. Uh, this is a special spotlight episode on an upcoming Marvel title. Maybe you heard the news. I have the writer of that title joining me. Uh, Jim's up. Welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I don't think uh, I mean, we've, we've talked a few times at conventions, quick interviews here or there, but I don't think we've had you on for like a deep dive. Um, yeah, like a full blown episode. Yeah, yeah. Not nice. since uh, maybe maybe for your image series, Wayward. Oh, man, Way that's like probably back. 2014, 2015. Yeah, I was going to yeah, say a like, while back. Yeah, like five or six years. It may even be uh, longer than that. Wow. But, but yeah, excited to talk about uh, Thunderbolts. You know, awesome. I, I reached out at the end of last year. You mentioned you had some announcements. I wouldn't. Yeah, agree. you wanted to do you wanted to do a new episode. You were like, it'd be great to talk to you. And I said, just hold off a little bit. I got some announcements coming up. Uh, and I, you know, I feel I wanted to talk about those and I didn't want to have to hold the secret. So it's always nicer once the thing's announced. And I, Oh yeah. Yeah. And then when it dropped to see that was Thunderbolts, I was really excited. Right. So in in the interest of full disclosure, buddy, so Jim did a a Thunderbolts, John Malin was the artist, uh, winter soldier was the lead and there was, you know, plenty of villains. 2016, 2017. Yeah. 12 issues. Yeah. Yeah. But you still had plenty more ideas to go, right? Like, I remember you pitched another Thunderbolts, like, yes. later that never... So I wanted to do, like, the Thunderbolt series I did in 2016, 2017, those 12 issues, they led into um, Secret Empire. And there was the the plot line with, um, you know, Kobik, the Cosmic Cube girl, right, and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Bucky trying to protect her and, and make sure that the government didn't get a hold of her and then that Cap didn't get a hold of her and all this kind of stuff. And that was sort of the through line of a lot of that story. And I was exploring other aspects of the classic kind of Thunderbolts lineup and Zemo's return and all that kind of thing. But then everything had to careen into the Secret Empire event. My hope was that we were going to spring out of Secret Empire and keep the story going. Like we were going to go off in other directions with it. And that's what I pitched. But, you know, these things happen. Uh, I wasn't able to continue it at that time. And it's one of those things where you do a run on a book, you know, you do the best you can with it. I'm really proud of what we put together there. And then it moves on and and other people will pick up the baton and what may have you. It's, it's an unusual thing to get another chance to do a book like this. And now this take I'm doing, you know, for 2022 is very different because things have moved on and characters have moved on and concepts and stories are always moving forward. But, you know, as I've been sort of joking around, I said, it's like, lightning strikes twice you know so thunderbolts are back and and i get to to give this one a shot with something really different and uh it's it's fun it's a really cool um book to be able to work on the cast of characters i have is completely different and the story that we're trying to tell i'm i'm really pumped for so yeah it's so it seems like you have an affinity for the the concept of thunderbolts and and obviously when you know uh, it first came out with Busick and Bagley and those guys, it really was leaning into this idea of let's pull the rug out from one of the readers when they find yeah. out everybody's a bad guy. You, you had a little bit of that aspect in, in your previous run. Like we mm-hmm. mentioned, you know, winter soldier heading it up, but even he can be somewhat of an anti-hero at times. Um, sure. But then this one, you know, I've heard you describe this one as, you know, Ted Lasso meets superhero. <laughs> that, that's a yeah. big 
It's uh, a big swing, right? Now, yeah. Thunderbolts have gone through a ton of different iterations. Like, there's the classic kind of Busick run where you've got the Masters of Evil in disguise at the start. But then Hawkeye was the second leader of the team, and that was while Busick was still writing it. Hawkeye ends up coming in and tries to essentially take, like, the team had rebelled against Zemo's pure villainy, mm-hmm. and they were actually trying to figure themselves out as heroes. And Hawkeye was like, well, I used to be a criminal. I know what this is like. I want to help you guys get there. And he sort of holds their feet to the fire to try and be, you know, better. And that went on for quite a while. And then the book went through other iterations, right? Like you had the the Warren Ellis version that was like the, you know, Osborne's kind of team that eventually became Dark Avengers. You have Luke Cage came on. I know when Jake Parker was writing and Luke Cage was the leader of the team and he was trying to take these prisoners and form them into some sort of a superheroic team. You've got the Thunderbolts Ross version that Daniel Way did, you know, where you've got Punisher and Deadpool and like all kinds of different characters like that in the mix. And so it's really been this sort of mutable concept over the years. Like there's been different versions of Thunderbolts and what that name means and what that that team cohesion is all about. But there's always something that takes it out of a classic superheroic mold. Like even if they're either villains trying to be heroes or they're anti-heroes or they're breaking the rules in some way, shape or form. And that's kind of always been, I think at the heart of the Thunderbolts concept is it's not your, you know, pure goodness kind of, kind of superheroes doing things for altruistic reasons. And, and there's always more going on under the surface than you expect. And so I'm keeping that in mind uh, but obviously I don't want to spoil in what sort of ways. Uh, ostensibly, when you look at the surface of this thing, you go, well, these are all heroic characters, right? Like obviously, you know, Monica Rambeau and America Chavez and, and uh, you know, Clint Barton and, and uh, Victor Alvarez, these are all characters who have been on, you know, Avengers teams and they've been on heroic teams and they've done the right things for the right reasons. And so on, on its surface, it seems like it's kind of the antithesis of, of the Thunderbolts concept. And all I can say is, is that there's a, there's a, an element, you know, that we're, that we're keeping close to our chest on this, not to say that they're not trying to be heroes, but sort of the tagline that um, I think Tom and the team came up with was this idea of redeeming lightning or redeeming justice or whatever you want to call it, like justice, like lightning, which is that kind of subtitle they use on the series. And so we're sort of like redeeming the lightning or whatever. And, and, the name Thunderbolts in its current iteration is actually in Devil's Reign. There's a team of Thunderbolts um, that Wilson Fisk is controlling. Mm-hmm. And it's these pure villains, pure criminals who have been deputized because Wilson Fisk is the mayor of New York and he's running things. And these guys are running around with a badge and essentially just cracking heads and causing trouble under Wilson Fisk's you know, command. But also going off on their own chaotic missions and doing their own crap when they're not being watched. And so the idea I've got and what I can reveal so far is that Hawkeye being a previous leader of the Thunderbolts and Luke Cage being a previous leader of the Thunderbolts, they don't want Wilson Fisk's pure kind of criminal version of the Thunderbolts to be the last word on that team. They don't want that to be the legacy that this thing carries forward. And they've got skin in the game in the sense of they want this to be something more because they both feel connected to it from the past. And so Clint has been kind of recruited to take this team and for lack of a better term, turn it straight, like make the brand, 
you know, heroic again in some way, shape or form. Can he do that? Does he have the juice? Is there other things that are going to make it hard? Oh yeah. Like I've got all kinds of fun, you know, stuff to throw in his way. And the Ted Lasso kind of comparison that I use was very much that kind of character centered, upbeat, fun, uh, but, but kind of emotional quality to it. Like Clint is, has been a leader of, you know, multiple teams in the past, but he's carrying a lot of baggage, you know, as well. And he may not be the best person for the job, but he's got to step into this role and make the most of it. And that feels like a little Ted Lasso-y to me. You've got this guy, you know, uh, out of his depth a little bit or, or struggling with all these kind of internal issues, who's trying to be the leader that he wants to be or trying to be better and motivate other people, even though he's dragging his own kind of chains behind him. And that's very much in that kind of mold. And all the characters have got a lot of richness and kind of depth in that way. Monica's someone else who has not always gotten her due and you know needs to sort of find her footing and now this is an opportunity potentially to do so but but it's not going to be easy you know and that's there's a i'm having a lot of fun you know putting together this crew and uh, the interactions that they have well i think in a lot of ways when you think about what you're saying with with baggage or, or chains or you know, the, the three, the throughput of all these different iterations of the Thunderbolts over the years being that there's some, they're somewhat flawed and their flaws are, are closer to the surface, right? Yes. Like when you yes. think about the Avengers, you know, it's the best of the best, right. you know, the, the defenders were always the weird quirky magic team or whatever, but the Avengers were always the best of the best. And they're at the, the center of, of the Marvel universe and, you know, billion dollar movies and whatnot, but there's this idea of the Thunderbolts and those flaws so close to the surface in a way it's the most Marvel of all superhero teams, because when you really talk about starting the Marvel age with Spider-Man and the Fantastic yeah. Four and the Hulk, it was Stan and Jack leaning into the flaws, right? That's what a feet of clay, like characters right. that, yeah, that, exactly. that really struggle to, to find themselves and find their footing. And that's the characters we love. The reason why we see ourselves in the Marvel universe is because we're all Peter Parker. We're all Ben Grimm. We're all, you know, Johnny Storm and, and these characters who wear their heart on their sleeves and make mistakes and, and aren't perfect paragons. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And, and, and I love those characters the most. I love the street level characters. I love the supernatural characters. And I, I kind of love the ones that mess up. You know, and and that ability for us to see ourselves in them is really valuable. And when I make new characters for the Marvel Universe, I always try and think of that. Like, what is the hook? What is the emotional hook? What is the mental hook? What is just as much as what is their ability and what is their cool visual? What is holding them back? Like what is inside that makes them, you know, struggle? And um, I'm, I'm really thankful that I've had the ability to create some new characters that have some of those qualities to them and try and inject those things that I think are so valuable to make, not just a superhero, but a Marvel superhero. And, yeah. and in Thunderbolts, we're making a couple new characters as well. So there's one character there in uh, the background of the variant. You can see him there and he's on the lineup. He's this sort of cyber soldier, very much in a nineties mold. And that's by design, like a real throwback kind of character. 
uh, he's got these cybernetics and weaponry, you know, in the way that all those 90s characters seem to. Uh, and his name is literally Guts and Glory. Guts and Glory, yeah. Right? And Fantastic. it's sort of ridiculous. And and every, like the response I got to that was like an equal amount of eye rolling. And the other half was, this is amazing, right? Just on the name. And that's the reaction I want. If you think it's corny, you're right. If you think it's amazing, you're also right. Like yeah. it is, it is ridiculous on its face. And the character is your classic kind of mystery man. Like, what's his past? What's his capability? It's all classified. You're not allowed to know. It's, you know, all been sealed military records or whatever. And we're playing up those kind of uh, traits that you saw in those 90s characters, the cooler than cool, the kind of mystery men and, and you know, figuring out what their past was afterwards, except I know what his past is and how he fits together and what his feet of clay are and why he's a valuable, you know, kind of Marvel superhero. But I'm going to just tease that stuff out, you know, in the story and, and really excited to do so. So did you get to choose the the whole lineup was that all on you uh like it was a it... mixture i mean i chose them all like i did end up picking each character but we sort of went back and forth through multiple iterations so what had happened was i um there's a pretty constant dialogue that's going with my editors about you know different possible projects and things like that there's i don't know that it's absolutely formalized but there's kind of three different i guess you could call it tiers of writers at Marvel. Again, I don't think they put a badge on it or something, but you'll sort of notice there's the people who are um, exclusive, right? So they're the people that do all the creative summits and they're doing the long-term building and planning and stuff like that. Then you've got another kind of group of writers that I kind of fall into where I do a lot of regular work for Marvel in the Marvel universe. And so I, uh, I'm looped in on a bunch of meetings or things that are happening, but I'm not necessarily architecting out big events and stuff like that. But I am getting, for example, like advanced PDFs of books before they go to print and knowing what some of the big story beats are. So it's like, oh, okay, these are the big events and here's how it's going to tie in. What are the things spinning out of that? Where's a good fit for some of these things? And occasionally throw ideas into the mix. Um, and then you've got just other freelance writers that are going to hire usually for very specific projects, a miniseries mm -hmm. or a one shot or a short story or an anthology or, or, or whatever. Um, and so this was something where I had talked about other characters and I had pitched a concept to CB Sobolski. And it was one of those classic things of, hey, uh, some of these characters are already kind of spoken for. We've got other plans. But you know what? We were thinking that it would be good to spin out of Devil's Reign, you know, Chip's event that he's been doing with Daredevil and a bunch of these street level characters. We would love to see a team kind of spin out of this. And it might be, the Thunderbolts, or it might be something else. We don't know yet. We've got these kind of parameters. Is this something you're interested in? And I thought, well, they won't let me do the Thunderbolts again, but I'll, I'll try and pitch an idea at them. So I pitched a lineup of characters and then it was a back and forth kind of process. And um, one of the, the precepts we came up with was that this team was going to be very centered around New York City. And so how many characters could we have that were geographically based there? And so it was something where I said, okay, let's literally go down a list. And that's where someone like, you know, Power Man, the young Power Man, Victor Alvarez was in the mix. And I thought, oh, he'd be a really good fit. Luke Cage isn't on this team, but he could recommend, you know, Victor mm -hmm. or something like that. And then that America Chavez made an America miniseries came out and she moved from the West Coast to New York at the end of that series and, or over the course of that series. And I was like, oh, she's New York based now. Oh, that'd be cool. Maybe mm -hmm. getting, you know, American in here would be great. And so you just sort of 
you know, kind of assembling this group and, and seeing what the ingredients are, what roles do they fill, and then what kind of story plot elements can you bring into it. And I've built a bit of a reputation for writing teams and team dynamics. And that wasn't something I kind of planned. It just, the kinds of projects I've been offered at Marvel and the response we've gotten from readers has been like, I did Thunderbolts and then I did Uncanny Avengers. Then I did that Avengers event, No Surrender with Mark and Al. Mm -hmm. um, I did Champions. Like it's just been team book after team book after team book. Like it's, it's pretty constant. I don't think I've written any solo characters at Marvel <laughs> at all. And so people just really like the way I'm doing the team dynamic stuff. And so, um, you know, it, and it fits my sensibilities as well. I like the variety. I like the way the, the interactivity of the characters just, it, it feels like just checking in and moving everyone's plots forward. You've just got a lot of cool stuff that you can do in any particular issue. And so it, it was a thing where I just put together a lineup and I kind of said, okay, these are the different pieces and how they fit emotionally. This is where we can go with it. And, and, you know, Clint is sort of at the center of all these things that, Hawkeye's, you know, uh, um, his strengths, but also his flaws are going to define a lot of how this story plays out in fun and I think unexpected ways. Yeah, he's in such a, a different place. Like, right, when I think of Hawkeye leading a team, I, I think right. back to kind of my, the, the 80s kind of- you West know, Coast I, Avengers. Yeah, yeah the wackos yeah. and how he was all gun-ho and, yeah. you know, everything was it's black funny. and white. It's yeah. funny you mention that. So at the very start uh, of issue one of Thunderbolts, this first issue that's going to be coming out in May, uh, Clint is kind of going through a little bit of a, you know, internal, he's, you know, got some doubts and whatever, and he really wants to get back to that place. Mm -hmm. So he like gets on the phone with Simon Williams, like a uh, wonder man. Mm -hmm. And he's like, Hey, we should get the gang back together. Like, let's do, <laughs> let's get the West coast Avengers going. And, and that's sort of his mindset. And then Simon's busy with other things and other people are doing other stuff. And all of a sudden he gets this offer to bring the Thunderbolts back into play. And it's sort of like, well, it's not the West Coast Avengers, but you know what? This ain't all bad. Right. And so it's this kind of thing where he's pining for this time in his life where he felt like things were simple, where things were black and white, mm -hmm. where bad guys were bad and good guys were good and, and let's do this thing. And so he's trying to recapture that magic but you can't go back. You know, that's the, exactly. that's one of the, the bits of story. And we played with that in the other Thunderbolts run where we got the original lineup together, even Songbird and everyone else back mm -hmm. on the team. And there was a lot of this sort of feeling of, okay, the team's all here, we're back. And then there was a lot of this kind of yearning of, but we're not the same people and we don't have the same goals and we're not all moving in the same direction anymore. And, you know, I think that that's a very, there's a truism there. You know, we all want to recapture that magic or we all want to that idealized version of ourselves at a particular age or in a particular time. At the time, we didn't even know how mm -hmm. much precious it was. And now all we want to do is try and get back there. But what you really need to do is push forward and figure out who you are in the here and now. Yeah, that's and again, it sounds like you're you're pulling in a lot of the the classic stuff. Because when I was thinking, I knew I was going to talk to you. And I was thinking, tell you on my drive into work to the day job this morning, I was like, man, I, I kind of want to ask Jim about like like I was saying about pulling the rug out from it because such yeah, a classic yeah. Thunderbolts thing. But then I'm like, sure. but I, I but I, we don't want to spoil anything. And you already yeah, addressed. But, yeah, and, and, yeah. and I'll be honest with you, you can't you know you can't recapture that magic either. Like you right. can't pull. The, I'll just tell you, these guys can't all be villains in disguise. That's right. not going to work. Like yep. that, it's that's, been done. Right. And if even if I did it, 
everyone go, oh, you're just ripping off yeah. music or yeah, we've been there, done that. Like, you know, I, I understand that desire. You're like, it's Thunderbolts. We got to have villains in disguise. You're like, no, what you got to do is you got to keep people on their toes. Right. You got to have a, a twist. lot of different ways to do that, you know? Yeah. And when we did the book in 2016, it was all Kobik was sort of this monkey's paw. And so we could twist and turn characters and motivations and mess with their minds. And that's not the masters of evil reveal, but it allowed us to sort of pull the rug out in multiple times mm-hmm. during the book. Right. Um, in different ways. And that's, I think, should be the core of it. Thunderbolts is not about a surprise gimmick. It's about, you know, uh, people struggling, you know, against their, like you said, the, the flaws right on the right. surface, right? Yeah. Uh, does the book usually have a lot of cool twisty turny? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's something valuable and worth doing. And so I've peppered in a couple little fun things and we've got some cool reveals that are going to come, but it's it's not... Busick and Bagley, because I, I, you can't do that again, you know? Right. And so, yeah. Yeah. But speaking of Bagley and incredible art, t- talk a little bit about your collaborator on this series, because oh you're a fantastic artist. Sean Isaac. So we've got a, a long history of collaboration, which I'm so incredibly proud of. We actually, I didn't even know this. I think one of his first professional gigs ever was doing this uh, fantasy book, Pathfinder for Dynamite. And he was one of the artists I work with over there. I really liked his stuff. He was super consistent and professional. And so when the time came and I was doing Thunderbolts in 2016, John Malin did the lion's share of the issues. He did 10 out of the 12. But just on that natural schedule, like most artists, he he wasn't quite monthly. And so over the course of a story arc, you're slowly you're not like, this was all planned. You're going to have fill in issues. You need another artist. And Sean was the person that I recommended. And so he came in and drew two issues of the series. Was that Uh, his first Marvel work? That was his first Marvel work. Oh, wow. So it was my first, I had done some other Marvel stuff, but that was my Thunderbolts was my first like Marvel universe superhero stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was Sean's first gig period. And it went over so well. They were so happy with it. They, they immediately wanted to roll them over onto other stuff. And so his next gig, I think I had Kim Jacinto for like two issues on um, Uncanny Avengers, which I took over from Jerry Dugan. And then Sean stepped on there and Sean carried that through till the end of the run. And then Sean and I both stepped over onto Avengers No Surrender. He did a couple issues there. Then we did... Um, champions together he mm-hmm. did the first handful of issues of champions before he stepped over to work with dan on fantastic four and so his first three projects were all with me and then dan stole them but quite validly <laughs> and i was honestly convinced i was like i'm never going to work with sean again just because he was going to be doing a list kind of high high profile stuff with right. these exclusive writers and uh kind of lucked out he did a bunch on ff and then he did fantastic four life story was fantastic which was great. No pun intended. Yeah. Yeah. Such a good book. And just the timing was perfect. I saw him on social media talking that he had just wrapped up his last page of life story. And I was like, Oh, we're casting for Thunderbolts. I wonder if I could scoop them for it. (laughs) And so I contacted Tom Brevor, you know, my editor. And I was like, I'd love to get Sean on this book. I love his design sense. So he can design the new characters His story tones immaculate. And we've got such good synergy. And he said, you know, I don't know, like Sean just got off this intense project. I don't know if he wants to do another team book. That's a lot of work. 
And I was like, well, can we ask him? And he's like, yeah. well, sure, you're free to ask him. And I, I know that Sean loves Hawkeye. I know that that's one of his favorite characters in the Marvel Universe. So I kind of had the hook. I just like contacted Sean and said, dude, Clint Barton, like he's, he's mine. Let's do it. And I, that was it. That's all I needed to say. <laughs> I was like, Clint Barton, I got all these other great characters, Monica, all these other characters you really like. And he was like, all right, I'll dig deep, drink more coffee, and we'll do this thing. And so... The, and to make it even crazier, the first issue is 30 pages. Oh, my God. <laughs> so because and that was just really nice. Like, uh, you know, I, I laid out the story for Tom, what we want to do. And the first issue is dense. There's a lot there. And I want to make the biggest splash possible. I want I want it to feel really classic kind of superheroes. There's a lot of great character stuff. There's big action. Every character gets a cool moment and gets to show off their powers. So if this is the first book you've read with some of these characters, you know exactly what they can do. Um, it, it was just, there was a lot there. And and Tom goes, yeah, how about 30 pages for that first issue? And I was like, oh, thank God. Because <laughs> yeah. otherwise it's going to be just like breakneck. And uh, so I wrote that first script and I'm really, really proud of it. Like, I can say it's probably one of the best scripts I've written at Marvel. Like it's, it all feels very, it has the qualities of the books that I loved growing up. Like it's got humor, it's got heart, it's got big action. Um, I just wanted it to feel like big bombastic superhero stuff, you know, and Sean's just going to the wall with it. So, you know, if, if people don't like that first issue, I don't know what to tell them. I <laughs> like that. <laughs> That, that is the book I want to do. And that is the heart I want to put into it. And I hope that people really, uh, really love it as much as we do. So Yeah. And even the, the characters I've seen before, I haven't seen this, these specific looks. So Sean, sure. Sean gave everybody at least. Yeah, some, he did totally different... new, totally new costume designs. And that's very much in Sean's way. Like when, when we did Uncanny Avengers, he started immediately tweaking character designs and just coming up with costumes. He, I think he did a new costume for Quicksilver and a couple other characters that he really likes. And he just wanted to sort of put his own spin on it. And uh, I didn't think he'd have time again, because he had to pretty much draw as soon as he finished life story, he was, jumping on this mm -hmm. and you know costume design can take some time and i was like you know just do the new characters just do the two new characters and he was like no I, you know i don't like i want clint's new costume and i want to do this i want to do that and i was like all right man that, that's a real joy for him i think the thing that he loves most is designing it but then other people if they use those designs like the yeah. you know David Nakayama does this cover art that looks so cool. And it's like a big point of pride to Sean. Oh yeah, that's my costume that they're doing now, you know? And if you do it well, then that becomes the costume going forward for some time. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a real feather in your cap. And he loves Clint so much. So let's make a new costume for Clint and all this kind of stuff. So, yeah, I've heard artists say that they love it when to see other people, you know, pick up the baton after they've made a new one. And you're, I'm sure you're smart enough to say, oh, if you're going to give them new looks, I'm just going to get out of the way. You probably just. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. You know, and, and John did that on Thunderbolts as well. He gave um, Moonstone a new costume and a couple of things like that. And sometimes uh, he would really like some of these artists, they want to do it immediately. And I'm like, oh, give me a minute and I can work it into the story mm -hmm. like i'll find a way we can justify it you know new team is easy everyone's going to have a costume or what may have you that's all cool but if you want to evolve it in the story let's just put it in let's let's burn off the old costume or let's do something where it becomes necessary all you right. got to do is tell me what you want to do you know as much as possible that's why it's so important to 
to be constantly communicating with the art team because I don't just want to drop a script on them. I want them to be pumped. I want them to, there's stuff in there that they really want to draw. You know, if there's particular villains or there's particular things that they love about these characters, tell me and I will just turn that up. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll adjust the knobs and, and give you the, the, the space to do the cool thing you want to do. You know. Yeah. And, and like you said, very serendipitous that Sean became available because yeah. here's the thing about it being so dense, especially that first issue. And, and the fact that like, we're talking about leaning into the flaws and, and Thunderbolts is always going to be, you know, a little off kilter working with somebody that you're familiar with. You've already right. had that kind of shorthand, you know, yeah. you're not, you're not yeah. getting, you and Sean aren't getting to know each other here. So you can just focus on telling the best. Story yeah, exactly. And I can write stuff into a page. And, and even if I can't see exactly how he's going to draw it, I know he can do it. Like mm -hmm. I can look and go, that's crazy, but yeah, that's very doable. There's a way that this is going to fit. One of the hardest things to do is to write a script when you don't have the artist nailed down yet, because mm -hmm. you're kind of writing into the void. You're like, I hope this person likes drawing cars or like whatever. <laughs> right. Hope, hope this is going to work, you know, in my head, this is going to be really epic. And then you get an artist and that's not playing to their strengths in any way, shape or form. And you're like, Oh crap. You know? Yeah. Um, and, and I have no problem throttling or changing stuff up once I know what someone is capable of, like that's part of the job, you know, mm -hmm. is that communication and collaboration. And so with Sean, it's, yeah, it totally feels super comfortable. And, and the majority of the time, it's just like, he's sending roughs in and we're on autopilot. I'm like, yep. Awesome. That's right. You got it. And because he knows even my script kind of cadence, like the way I would describe something or or that there's certain precepts I really like, particularly when you're doing dialogue scenes or you're doing humor where you want to have like little beats and breaths or, or you know, a pause panel between a, before someone says a bit of a punchline or or. I, one of those things I love is when you have the same kind of panel, but there's a subtle little change between them as something mm -hmm. really tiny happens. And, you know, Sean knows that kind of pacing, like he knows the way I like to, to structure those things out. So, yeah, that's cool. fantastic. Uh, yeah. The, the other thing that I got to ask you about is, you know, Marvel dropped this announcement uh, that Thunderbolts and it, it was kind of everything was silhouetted. And then the yeah. next day, the, the, the lineup got announced that day that the lineup got announced. I saw a lot of people really excited for some of these characters because they're not ones that you know, that have their own title, you know, Hawkeye yep. just had the incredible successful TV show. Monica Rambo is yep. a fan favorite. What was who the, was in WandaVision as yeah, well? Yeah. Yeah. She was in WandaVision. She, uh, Monica, she was also in the Captain Marvel movie. What, mm -hmm. what was uh, the reaction? Did you have people reaching out? How did you feel like it? it landed? Yeah. Big time. I mean, that's the nice thing about it. When you announce a, a Marvel book like this, it's always a cool, you know, kind of explosion of excitement. Your friends all kind of get excited for you in the industry and then just casual people who just love these characters. And it's so fascinating. It's like, you know, when I was doing um, Uncanny Avengers, this like real strident fan group of Scarlet Witch fans were like there for it. They're like, oh, Wanda needs to be in more stuff. And she's one of my favorite Avengers. So we would have this dialogue, right? Mm -hmm. And then the Hawkeye fans are just, they're out in droves. Like they were just like, finally, Clint's leading a team. Yes. You know, and Monica, like, why hasn't she been in a book in a while? Or, right. you know, America Chavez, they're just like, yes, yes, yes. Let's do this stuff. And that's really fun. But I love things like, so persuasions in this book. And it's like, she is, uh, she used to be known as the purple girl and she was on alpha flight in the bill mantlow run in the late eighties. Like she's obscure yeah, in that back. sense. Right. But she's a great character. I wanted someone, I needed someone who was in kind of a mentalist kind of a role in the mm -hmm. book for very specific reasons. And she's currently in New York 
and uh, uh, Kilgrave is in the Devil's Reign event. So there was like a nice bit of tethering that I could mm-hmm. do with that as well. And it was funny. I got messages from people like, oh my God, I haven't seen this character in ages. I can't believe, you know, she's like on this team book. And those are fun too. I like being able to surprise people. If it was just, you know, all the ones you expect in that sense, there's a certain amount of people go, yeah, that's the classic team lineup, but it is kind of fun to throw a curveball and to surprise people with who's in the mix. And, and then sometimes the biggest thing is, well, why, well, why persuasion? Well, why power man? It's like, read the book and then you're going to see yeah. how it all kind of, why these yeah. ingredients are in the mix, you know, yeah, see how it, see how it comes together. Well, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm super excited for it uh, as well. Thanks, I mean, man. you know, you, I'm, I'm always a fan of, of what you do. Loved your champions run. And, and like you. you said, I mean, uh, you you mix action and heart very very well. So when you said T- Ted Lasso, like I'm like, well, of course that's right. That's yeah. You, you were kind of doing the Ted Lasso thing before Ted Lasso was even. Well, that's the thing, right? And so as much as it, I mean, it's a nice kind of a, an elevator pitch to be able to say it's Ted Lasso. But if you read even even Black Panther and the Agents of Wakanda, we would have these little emotional moments or these little dips or you know interactions of the characters champions we did it all the time yeah and that's the stuff i really love to do i love writing action but i love putting the heart behind it like why do these people do these things or or the feet of clay like what they are messed up and they are trying to figure themselves out i think on champions some of the fans were thrown a little bit sideways on that because Uh, mark was mark wade wrote the book before i did and he wrote it as a pretty light kind of airy book like the stuff they were up against was very the bad guys were very clearly bad and and these were teenagers and they were sort of you know it was a very fun book and a very Mm -hmm. colorful book you know you have Humberto Ramos drawing these really kind of exaggerated proportions and big stuff and it looked great I absolutely love the book but I can't that wasn't the book that I was going to write, you know? And when Tom Brevoort and I started talking, we were starting to talk almost in like the classic teen Titans mold of mm-hmm. like, you know, big drama, big action. These kids are got to prove that they're worthy of, of being heroes. And so I kind of put them under the wheels pretty quick. Like I started yeah. messing, messing them up. And some of the fans were like, what are you doing? And it's like, I'm, you know, these are Marvel heroes. Like they deserve, uh, all the drama that Marvel heroes get for better or for worse. Right. And that's kind of where, where I feel it should be. Yeah. And, well, the highs, I, the highs yeah. aren't going to be high if there aren't some lows to contract. Right. And, and you want these characters to earn it, right? Like you want exactly. it to feel like they, they overcame things. And the teen books that I really liked, whether it was new mutants or, or, or teen Titans or any of these, like they were books where characters were constantly getting, you know, sideswiped by life and drama and Mm -hmm. relationships and difficulties. And you, that's why you held on every month is because something unexpected and cool was happening and you, you needed to see what came next. Right. So, yeah, exactly. Well, everybody, uh, Thunderbolts uh, coming in May. So uh, a couple of months, uh, Sean and Jim are are hard at work. So uh, looking forward to that. Uh, So it's been great chatting with you, Jim, but I, I I can't let you go without talking to just a little bit of D and D. Sure. Uh, You're such a huge D and D guy. I am. We've talked before about that's kind of how you learn that you love to tell stories was by. Yeah. I would not be a writer today without, but, without Dungeons and Dragons. And I joke with people that like when I'm writing now, I feel like I'm just like a dungeon master. Like I'm putting characters into scenarios and then they're 
figuring their way out of them. That's that's the way I kind of think about these action beats and and storytelling for sure. Yeah. So are are you writing any uh, Dungeons and Dragons right now? I there, am. There so was, my, uh, the current a, miniseries is yeah, called the, Mindbreaker. Yeah, that's the current D and D miniseries that's coming out now, and it's just wrapping up as we're recording this. I think. This week, uh, the fifth four. issue comes out. Uh, issue five. five. Okay, got it. Yeah, got it. Yeah. So okay. that's the big climax to Mindbreaker, which is our sixth mini series of D and D. I don't mind telling you. I can't tell you what's in it, but I can tell you there's a D and D annual coming this summer that hasn't been announced yet. But I've been working away on that as well. So that's going to be an oversized issue with a, a big kind of crazy story in it. And there's more D&D irons in the fire and other sword and sorcery stuff that I'm working on as well. Gotcha. So. Cool. So, I mean, it's talk about a tight knit community or people that show oh, yeah. up. You got a big following for your D&D stuff. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's been great. So uh, that's, that's fantastic. Uh, congrats on that. Uh, anything else that you have? I mean, I, you, I know you probably can't say specifically, yeah, but I've got other um, stuff with Marvel or. I, d- I did just finished up that. Um, I mean, it's still being released, but I'm done working on it. They they did this Marvel unlimited digital first series called life of Wolverine. Mm-hmm. And so it's sort of a companion digital series alongside um, X deaths of Wolverine and X lives of Wolverine, the, mm-hmm. the Ben Percy event. But what this thing is, 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 um, editor Mark Basso gave me a challenge. Basically we have this kind of primer on Logan's life. Like if you either know Wolverine, but you haven't gotten caught up, or if you don't know Wolverine at all from, except for maybe the movies or something, this is like a crash course in, in Logan's life. And so I had to read hundreds of Wolverine <laughs> comics and look for through lines of narrative. Like what are the most important story beats? Why are they there? And how do they all fit together in the current Marvel timeline? And that was a really weird challenge. Cause even as much as I thought I knew Wolverine, there's so many stories and there's so many flashback stories like him in world war one and him like, you know, in the, in the 1920s running around and, and on capers and like all these weird things that I hadn't read before. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, but they're being written. Some of these stories were written in the eighties, some in the nineties, some in the two thousands and some of them jive and a bunch of them are kind of just a little bit out of sync. Right. And so my job was to kind of make them all fit and to go, okay, there are all these stories where he doesn't use his claws because at the time they didn't do the bone claws thing. They didn't have that. It was his claws came from, you know, adamantium, Mm -hmm. like in the classic weapon X story by Barry Windsor Smith, but there's a reason for it, you know? And so we're literally figuring this stuff out kind of retroactively and creating these big sweeping um, feelings of, of narrative about Wolverine, like what defines him. And in some ways, I kind of had to laugh because I was reading some of these stories and there are certain tropes about Logan that a lot of writers keep using, you know, like they'll introduce a new female character and in the past or whatever, and he'll spend time with them. And obviously they don't survive by the end because otherwise she'd be around now. Mm -hmm. And you see this happen five, six, seven times. And you're like, okay, this is ridiculous. But also it becomes this narrative of tragedy. Like, you get close to him, you die. Like that becomes the big picture kind of narrative that we can generate that, that his life is this series of, you know, control or loss of control when he's the beast or when he's the man or when he's in love or when he's got loss. And so we started to take in some ways, almost the ridiculous repetition and turn that into the story itself. 
that the the curse of what it is to be Logan and to live this extended life and to try and figure out who you are and what you're meant to be. And it's not until he gets to the X-Men that he gets any kind of stability mm-hmm. and, and the, the found family that he has, you know, with the children of the Adam, that is, that becomes its own sort of narrative point. And so I was joking with Mark Basso that I'm like, well, now I'm your, your Wolverine expert. Like whether I ever intended to be you know, <laughs> way, way more about this damn character than I ever anticipated. So uh, it was fun. It was a kind of a neat project and really um, pushed a very different kind of writing mode for me, like tons and tons of research and then trying to read the tea leaves of what it all means and make a story that I felt like made sense, but also, you know, worked with the evidence that I had before me. So, you know, I, I always thought Daredevil was the worst guy to date in the market, but maybe it's, maybe it's Wolverine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's wild, man. These tragic characters, the soap operas, you know, and, and because these characters have been around for decades and they've been in hundreds, if not thousands of, of issues, you know, the microcosm of it, you're reading the immediate stories and you're, you're encompassed in the immediate drama. And that's kind of the point of the thing. And then you take this hundred foot view and you're looking down and you go, how many times have they done this? You know, (laughs) how many, how many Christmases has Peter Parker, you know, been through or whatever. It doesn't matter. That's not the point, you know, like it's uh, it's, it's the ongoing tale of the Marvel saga. Right. And that's all. Well, yeah. I just had uh, Jerry Conway on uh, a little, a few weeks ago oh, sweet. Uh, and he, he was talking about, yeah, it's, it's that you got to give them the illusion of change. That's what standards always say. Uh, but the other thing too, is that I think what's amazing is when you're able to, you see these um, real seminal stories that come around that do become permanent change. Like if you'd have told me as a kid that Bucky Barnes would come back right, and it would be one of the best Captain America stories of all time. You're like, no, right. Like, and yet now it's a seminal part of the history of that character. And so sometimes taking those big swings and making those unexpected changes can be some of the most fun and, and stories that you can put together rather than just trying to trap the character in Amber. Right. And as much as the readers say they want a character to be in a particular mold, the reality is if you keep them there too long, they, be, they grow bored, mm-hmm. right? You know? If all the if the love story is is you know pure and okay everything works out all right and they're perfect together you're like well where's the drama you know what do we do now like how do we tune this up so, yeah it goes back to what yeah. we were saying before about you need some lows to contrast against the highs otherwise yeah so it, yeah it's, and that's and that's one of those things that I think some of the fans totally understandably and I've been on that side of it as well they'll see something bad happening to their favorite character and they're like oh my god again or like why are you being so mean you know to fill in the blank and it's like I know it sounds crazy but I do it because I love them like Mm -hmm. if 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 you'll know if I don't like a character if I don't give them anything to do in an issue if I just sideline them and I throw them into the background that's because I don't give a damn about them like I'm just they've got you know they're filling some box I gotta have them in there but if I like a character man I will make their life hard because that's where the drama comes in right that's where the fun comes in yeah that's where you get to show they're a hero by overcoming it and have that gratification so yeah yeah Uh, totally Anyway, like I said, Jim, really excited for Thunderbolts. Can't wait. Thanks, man. Uh, can't wait to see Sean's gorgeous art, new characters and all that. So again, everybody dropping in May. 
uh, I'm sure we'll be reviewing it on uh, on, on the, the the podcast. So just uh, keep your ears open, uh, Jim. If anybody wants to follow you online, I know you like engaging and whatnot. Uh, where's the yeah. best place to find you? The, the hub for everything is just jimzub.com. So J-I-M-Z-U-B.com. That's got links to my Facebook, my Instagram, and my Twitter and all that kind of stuff. It's got interviews and reviews. I've also got a bunch of blog posts on there that are like tutorials, how to write comics, how to write a pitch, what it's like working in the industry and stuff like that. Um, if people want a deeper dive, I've got a Patreon where for like the price of a coffee, you can dig through my archives of scripts. I've got 270 scripts on there now plus uh, pitches and um, feedback notes and lettering proofs and all kinds of things like that so if you want to deep dive into the working process of of being a writer in comics that's one of the easiest and best ways to kind of see what it actually looks like not just someone you know theorizing but or or talking about but but looking at actual drafts of scripts and then comparing it to the printed version and going, oh, okay, I see how that was adapted or how, you know, uh, Jim's communicating to the artist and getting those particular results. So, yeah. yeah, that's a that's a great resource because I see artists all the time, too, asking, hey, where where can I find a script where I, yeah, that I can, yeah. you know. Big time, you know, uh, do some sequentials that I can show off at, at cons and stuff. Uh, and speaking of cons, any uh, any appearances? Do you have any appearances planned yet for this? Year? Um, I, nothing announced yet. So things are finally turning the corner on that after like two years of mm-hmm. kind of hibernation. So right. I actually do have a few shows um, in the mix that we're just finalizing plans on now. And until the contracts get signed or whatever and announcements get made, I can't say. But for the first time in a while. I'm going to be poking my head out and, and uh, doing some shows, which I'm really, really excited about. So um, it's no surprise. I'll be, you know, at the Toronto uh, Fan Expo at the end of the summer. I'm going to be at TCAF, which is the Toronto Comic Arts Festival, because those are both my local, you know, shows. Mm-hmm. But beyond those, I've got a couple other appearances in Canada, and we're just kind of starting to look at some American dates as well. So, Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of this hopeful spring is coming and all of us are kind of looking forward to, I think, getting back out there. I'm not going to go as full bore as I did, you know, 2019. 2020 was originally supposed to be one of my busiest travel years ever. And obviously that all scuttled. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah, we're kind of dipping our toe in the water and excited to to go for a dip. Yeah, same, uh, but trying to do it, you know, safely. So hopefully, yeah, I'm sure I'll run into you at a a show at some time, if not this year, then next. Uh, That'd be great. But again, thanks so much for uh, for joining us, everybody. I'll put a link to Jim's um, website as well as his Patreon in the show notes, so you can just go click there and find it. Uh, I highly encourage you guys to to follow him. Go check out the scripts. Check out his website. There's a lot of really great resources there. So. One more time, I'll say thanks, Jim. It's been great catching up. And to all you listeners, we really appreciate you uh, joining us. We wouldn't uh, do it if you weren't there to listen. So that's going to do it for this episode. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. 
All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.